Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Back out to Smart. Fakes the pass all the time. Three. Bang! It's William Strange. Mobs it up for Robert Williams. Should he go? Taylor Brown. Tatum. Durant, the long reach. Tatum, crossover, pull-up jumper. Welcome to the Celtics Reddit Podcast. Ben Vallis here. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. Wayne Spoonie on the call as well. Spoonie, how's it going, sir? Doing good, Ben. How about you? Yeah, doing all right. Uh, mostly because we've got uh, a first-time guest we'd like to welcome, professional sports fan and host of The Athletics, Anything is Potable Podcast, the best name Celtics podcast out there, Sam Jam Packard. Uh, welcome, Mr. Packard. How you doing, sir? I'm doing good. I also appreciate that compliment on the name Anything is Potable because... Uh, I thought that name was awful. It took us a a lot of stuff to, uh, a lot of tries just to settle on that, but that's the first I can compliment uh, I've ever heard on it, so I appreciate it. Oh, well, I mean, we know more than anyone how difficult it is to name a podcast. We've gone with a very literal name for our podcast and currently <laughs> kicking around some new name ideas, and uh, all of them are terrible. So uh, they sound, thank they you for taking like the shit. one good name. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so well, so it's true like compliments. It's like Celtics podcast, so it's like really hard to come up with a new one. Yeah. And like that's not the garden party and or something like that. And so I uh, wish you good luck. I think the literal works. Like if you do SEO, I think Celt- if you have Celtics and podcasts in the title, I think that's good for you guys. <laughs> okay, well, we'll have to consider that. Um, look, before we get into, I guess, the full show, we, we have to touch on Bill Russell a little bit, who sadly passed away earlier this week at 88 years old. And there's so much good coverage, you know, of the life and times of Bill Russell out there already produced by you know, far more qualified people than myself and Spoons. So in an attempt to take, I guess, a different angle, um, let me ask you this, Sam. Like, we're obviously not of the Bill Russell generation, but he's been a part of every NBA fan's experience in one way or another. What has Bill Russell meant to you as a Hoops fan? And, like, when can you remember him kind of becoming, um, like, part of your fandom experience? Um, i got, like, two different answers when it comes to this. There's one on-the-court thing, which is just, like, so I grew up, uh, my dad was like the one who introduced me to basketball in the Celtics. He was an eighties uh, Celtics season ticket holder and definitely watched the Celtics growing up in, um, I'd like to say he taught Bill Russell's games, but I have no idea if that's actually true, but he's the kind of one who first told me the, the lore of Bill Russell. And the thing that always stuck out to me is like, obviously you know, like he, uh, he passed away recently and you saw the kind of the, just the insane statistics with the number of championships the record in Game 7 games or, and just the incredible run of winning. But the thing that always was just wild to me is that 
when he blocked a shot and it ran out of bounds, he didn't think that was a success. Like, the only things that were, like, successful block shots for him were, like, block shots that he was able to control and tip to his teammates. And that's just another level of defense on the basketball. Like, why is that? It's just, like... I think it's like, like, unreasonable and unfathomable to think about today's game. Like, someone that dominant on the defensive end, that they would, they would be tipping blocks to their teammates. Like, right now, it's just you just trying to get your hand on the ball. But he was, like, controlling the ball in that regard. And that just, like, always blew my mind. It's like, that's just never something I think we'll ever see or ever just, like, comprehend, like, how dominant he actually was. The Time Lord needs to get on that shit. I mean, he's just blindly yeah. blocking shit out of bounds at all times. <laughs> Spoonie... What are sort of the emerging Bill Russell memories for you? I, I will say about Time Lord, though, it's always so awesome when he, like, volleyballs it to the 10th row. I get so <laughs> So I don't know if I want him to totally stop. Uh, I have a much worse answer. I think I, like, Bill Russell, I really learned about him through the prism of Tommy Heinsohn and watching Celtics games and Tommy just talking about Bill Russell endlessly and how awesome he was playing with bill russell who is also awesome and how many championships they won and oh is that greg stizma that guy's basically bill russell i mean (laughs) i i guess just like growing up in massachusetts and following the celtics for as long as i can really remember he's just always been like an institution around the team as much as like lucky the leprechaun in some ways and i don't mean to like trivialize bill in, in in that way but Like, he is the Celtics. He was the walking Boston Celtics. Like, that is Bill Russell. He's here. He meant everything to this team, everything to this city. And I I don't know. I I don't have a specific moment where I can really think, like, that's when it clicked in my head who he was. He was just, like, always there. It's like, when did you realize your parents were your parents? You know? I don't know. Like, they've just (laughs) always been there. So, yeah, I'm much worse answer. <laughs> no, it's like, you know, in any TV show where they're depicting like the protagonist in a simulation and they're like, do you remember how you got here? And the answer is always like, actually, I don't. Bill, Bill <laughs> Russell, very similar. It's like we don't really remember him ever coming into our lives. He was just always there. You know, he's the pillar at the end of the road of Celtics history that you look back and he's basically at yeah. the be- beginning of it, along with like Walter Brown and Red Auerbach and, and stuff like that. Um, so rest in peace, obviously Bill Russell. And like I said, there's a lot of much better coverage on Bill Russell out there. Uh, in particular, <laughs> I think this morning on the Celtics talk podcast, they released an interview, Tommy Heinsohn interviewing Bill Russell and they go into like, you know, like Welter Brown bringing Bill Russell into his office and like showing him all the, the paperwork of like owning the Celtics and how they were in debt and just wanting to be completely transparent with Bill Russell and basically saying like, I'm, I'm never going to pay anyone more than. I pay you, uh, but I need that loyalty from you in return. And that was sort of like the the formation of this beautiful relationship that obviously went on for uh, the entirety of his career. Spoonie, moving on, we, you know, we've got some new signings to get to. Do you want to kick us off with Huge Bruno with a, a spicy, spicy Reddit comment? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, Bruno Caboclo, the Celtics signed him to, I think, an Exhibit 10 deal. They're bringing him in. He's going to have a chance to make the roster. We got a Reddit comment here. He's amazed by President Brad, um, big fan of the show, <laughs> President Brad. Uh, he's amazingly somehow only 26-year-old, 6'9", with a freaky 7'7 wingspan, and he had one year in Memphis where he averaged eight points, <laughs> which is way better than I would have ex- expected. So, Jam, do you have any expectations of Bruno Caboclo? Can you remember watching him play basketball outside of like summer league maybe? Because 
I cannot. So, do you have any thoughts on Bruno? I just remember when he got drafted, they said he was two years away from being yeah. two years away. And was that four years ago now? I think it was eight years ago. It was eight. It was eight years ago. So, I have no expectations of, uh, for Bruno whatsoever. I don't like, I just like that Brad refuses to bring in any young guys. Like, if you notice, like, everyone yeah. on the roster, other than I think Peyton Pritchard, is like over 25 years old. Brad just is, and he's just trading away draft picks left and right. Brad just, if you're a young basketball player, Brad DeSeans does not want to see you on his team. And that's like my biggest takeaway from the Brewers. It's like, we could get a young guy, maybe just out of college. Maybe we'll get to one of Jason Tatum's friends. Nope, we're just going to get a guy who's been bopping around Brazil for the past six years. All right, Brad, Bra- you do whatever you want. <laughs> the Brazilian KD, come on. Yeah, there's, there's definitely, like, there's, at least from a physical dimension standpoint, there's something to get excited about. Like, he does have the body and sort of the, the presence of a talented NBA player. It's just maybe he hasn't had the right opportunity. Who knows? Maybe you can suit up for, for Brad and Ime there and, uh, and show us what he's been waiting to show the world this whole time. This is the kind of optimism the offseason needs. Am I wrong? I think it's a great optimism to think that Ime Yudoko is even going to entertain the idea of putting him on the floor. <laughs> After running his seven-and-a-half-man rotation last year, the idea of Ime going to his deep bench and be like, Bruno, get in there, it was laughable. Show us what you got. <laughs> I, I love it. I can't. I don't think I've ever heard an NBA player described as having dimensions. <laughs> he's got great he dimensions. Yeah. He is tall. He's tall Very and he's long. Me. Yeah. <laughs> we love length. We love girth on this podcast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Noah Von Ley, 26-year-old, 6'10", power forward, slash center, drafted ninth overall, 2014. Uh, we've got a Reddit comment here from the ghost of Jury Welsh who says, I like the idea of bringing in these still young-ish guys who has some pedigree coming out of the draft and just couldn't put it together at this level. Who knows if there's still some untapped potential there, different fit, different system, or just players naturally maturing. Could be all it takes to turn these guys into uh, potential role players or at least the end of the bench uh, options. Packard, the thoughts on Noah Von Leia, like, are you higher on him than you are on Bruno or where, where do you stand with this guy? I feel like I'm lower on Von Leia. Oh, I'm two thoughts. He's from Gabriel. He's a, like a local guy from... Uh, kind of the Boston area, so you got to give him credit for that. But he was a higher draft pick, and I feel like I remember watching him play and watching him fail. So that's my <laughs> I have bad basketball memories for him. And so um, maybe he has the the high pedigree. He was a tough draft pick. He has clearly more NBA experience. I think he's more likely to touch the floor than Bruno. But who knows at this point? I just think this he's being a kind of you needed to have a number of guys on your roster before you start a training camp, so why not bring in two guys? But that, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not paid to scout, uh, you know, guys uh, 13 through 15 on the roster. <laughs> One way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a scattering report. So it sounds like failure is the, the commonality between these two uh, pickups. So uh, good work, Brad Stevens. Um, Spoonie, anything to add there before we move on? Uh, you know, I feel like Vonley's got a few all-star appearances in his future, but no, I, I mean, they're, they're lottery tickets, right? Like they can kind of maybe shoot. I think that's kind of interesting. If you're tall and can kind of maybe shoot, like you might have an NBA career ahead of you. It's also like kind of how you could describe Cabin Gale and Luke Cornett too. Like if, if these guys could maybe make a few threes and like not get totally roasted on defense, they'll probably be 
an NBA player for a long time. So I kind of get the thinking from Brad, uh, like, hey, you know, these guys kind of washed out, but they got the good pedigree. Like, let's see if one of the they just all fight it out and see who's the fourth big um, or the third big, because I guess we really, unless that's Luke Cornett, which I kind of hope not. But yeah, oh, well, it's Cornette. You got to get on the Cornette train now. I'm expecting big <laughs> things from Luke this season. All right. Okay. All right. I, I, you know, if he makes some shots, he can protect the rim a little bit. Bill Russell blocks going. Um, so yeah, I'll just, you know, best man wins, you know, for that fourth spot. Can you expand on that, Sam? Like, what exactly are you expecting from Big Bird Cornette this season? Have you got legitimate hopes uh, for him? I, ex- <laughs> I expect him to play a little bit and not be terrible. Huge. <laughs> he had some moments. Like, he's definitely, like, he, he's very awkward out there. He kind of runs like a, a moose, I would say. Um, maybe a deer. Some sort of uh, wild animal. But I just think that, like, he's decent enough uh, I have seen him knock down some threes. I like he's definitely worse than Tice, but I think he can be serviceable enough to be your third big. And so, if you need to play him for two six minute stretches in the regular season, like per game, I think that you can you can survive those moments. I think like he's a serviceable big man. I don't think he's great. I don't think he's flashy, but I think he can do enough, and he is large, and he's got the dimensions that you guys are looking for. He does, yeah, <laughs> length and girth. Uh, lofty, lofty and expectations. Sorry, Spoons. Luke, uh, surprisingly, like, I, I don't, maybe I'm just latching onto one game where he played really well two years ago against Oklahoma City, but him and Tatum actually had some, like, nice little pick and roll and, like, handoff action going. Like, they, they had kind of good chemistry, and I think he's averaging, like, five assists a game in the G League. So, I don't know, maybe there's a little something there as kind of, like, horford type of stuff at the top of the key. I don't know. That's probably expecting too much, but you know what I mean. horford stuff. I, I love it. Okay. Transitioning slightly, Sam Packard, um, you know, we obviously, we've listened to you on the, on the reigning Jays back in the day and uh, now on the Athletics, anything is potable. It's the offseason. We've just been through literally all of the Celtics news that there is at this moment in time. Um, so we want to hear a little <laughs> bit more about you. Um, you're known as a professional Celtics fan or a professional sports fan. How did you go from sort of fandom to like, how did you go pro, I guess? Like all of us are fans <laughs> and now you're like the one professional fan out there. So how does that transition uh, work? I started calling myself a professional sports fan. I think <laughs> is the main way that happened. Um, so like my, like actually the, like out of college, I started working for WEI, which is one of the um, obnoxious sports, uh, sports talk radio stations here in, in Boston. And they had a blog at that point, where they're like a website where they would cover Celtics games. And I was a producer for them and no one really wanted to hear me talk. And so I figured I would like kind of try to create a, a niche for myself. Cause obviously I thought I had important things to say. Um, and so I started going to games uh, that way and writing stories uh, like game stories, like a pretty like generic stuff. No one read them whatsoever. Um <laughs> Like, who was reading WEEI.com to try and, like, figure out what happened in the game? That's just, like, not what happened. And so, but, like, also, I, I like, had been aware of podcasting for, like, uh, a decent amount of time and thought, like, at that point, this was pretty, like, 2014. Like, there wasn't a lot of people doing podcast stuff. And so I started... I borrowed your, or I guess I didn't borrow this because it happened a while ago, but I started a podcast just called WEEI Celtics Podcast, um, basically just because I wanted 
you know, my own opportunity on, uh, to talk on the mic and, and I didn't think there's a space there. I was eventually able to lure Jared Weiss in to kind of start doing it with me. Um, and I, my first year was Brad's first year. Uh, and they went on that, cr- like, just run where they, I think in retrospect, stupid, they made the playoffs where they had no business being in the playoffs and they got just absolutely yes. trounced. But we managed to uh, trick Chris Forsberg into coming on the pod uh, after every single playoff game and actually, like, get some listeners and, like, build up a little bit of a following that way. Um, and it, it just kind of, like, built from there. Like, that podcast became a little bit bigger. And then when the reigning Jays, the stat, like, went to a, a everyday type thing, um, they asked me to come aboard and just kind of it just kind of snowballed from there, I guess. We're very familiar with uh, convincing, tricking Chris Forsberg to come on your <laughs> podcast. Tricked him several times. It's way too nice. Way too nice of guy. We'll, yeah. we'll trick he him is, again, yes. I'm sure. <laughs> Uh, so what, uh, Jim, what is, uh, when you think back, like what, in your formative years, so I like growing up, I, I grew up on a lot of the dark ages, late nineties, uh, Celtics. And then I would say where my fandom really locked in was like that. Oh, one Eastern conference finals run, uh, with Pierce and Twan. So like, what's a, a formative Celtics memory, you know, you can think of where you're like, this is my shit. This is like what I want to do. I mean, I was definitely a huge, like, everything Boston sports fan growing up uh, just in Boston area. For some reason, when you, like, said that, the first name that popped in my name mind was Eric Williams um, for those, like, late, yeah. those, like, early 2000s teams. And, but I wasn't, like, the biggest Celtics fan then. Um, I definitely became, like, the follow the 2008 run. I don't think I, like, became fully invested in the Celtics until I started being able to, like, cover the team and, like, yeah. go to in like the Brad Stevens area and like I don't know just being able to go to the game like go to the games and you just be there every single day and then being able to go to the locker room and talk to the players it just was like such a it was like oh my god I can you can learn so much and I feel like that's when I like fully dove in it was just like alright this is gonna be my thing um I just really like Brad and like he's like kind of his philosophy growth mindset kaizen things is like i that's where i to like really bought in and so um and it's like him and when isaiah thomas came it's just like oh my god this guy's amazing um and that it's like that's when i like fully dove in like heads first like i'm not going to pay attention to any other sports it's going to be all celtics all the time um i think it was in that stupid playoff i think i convincing chris forsberg who had a big a big impact on my career <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. That IT years, like looking back, that was probably one of, if not the most fun time to follow the team because the expectations were absolutely nothing and they always exceeded them. So they was just like so happy. The vibes were so immaculate during those days. And now I, I fear this year, you know, I'm just I'm just worried. <laughs> That's all I'll say with the expectations so high. Yeah, it's fair to say about those IT years, like, in, it's not corny to say so that it was, like, magical. Like, there was a sort of a magicness to yeah. the success that that team found and that it was all spearheaded by, like, the little guy, this tiny, tiny little basketball man who just had insane talent, who won so many <laughs> games in, in such a spirited fashion. Um, Sam, if you could own one piece of Celtics memorabilia, like, from all time, what would it be? And, like... Um, entertain us like pick a fantasy item like you'll never own this there's no chance that you could ever get your hands on it and then like maybe a realistic item that like when you you know quote unquote make it one day and you've got a billion bucks in the bank you could potentially buy it 
And it's got to be something unique. Like, I don't want anything, like, generic. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of, like, something that's in Celtics folklore. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a tough one. For some reason, my mind also jumped to Yabu. Like, if I could have something of Yabu, <laughs> that would be pretty, pretty sweet. Um, it's the statue of the Buddha. Gary <laughs> Eric Strode. cushion. Yeah, maybe one of his headbands, maybe the, like, the magical bow and arrow dab that he did, if I could have like, an NFT of that. Um, those are like, obviously not uh, not the great things. Not just, like, but I have such like, moments... I mean, if they have something, my like, one of my favorite memories from covering the Celtics was one of that game. I think the Celtics recently did like a, a remember this like type moment of that on Instagram. Whereas Mark, when they came back against the Rockets when they were down twenty points, and like uh, Marcus Smart drew those two charges on James Harden, that was like one of the most electric, wild games. And I'm trying to think of like what the how I could go back to that moment and like get some piece of memorabilia from that. Like maybe some piece of James Harden's beard from that game. I was like, I don't know why. I'm not a very sentimental memory focus guy, clearly, because I'm struggling with this answer, but um, that's the best I have for now. I don't know. I'm, I'll take any suggestions from you guys. There's one piece of uh, memorabilia that I had that I no longer have, which is awesome, and I kick myself for having this. After the confetti game, I was in uh, Philadelphia, and I went onto the floor and I sweeped up as much oh, confetti as I could possibly have. Oh, man. That is That was awesome. going to be my answer. And I did it. <laughs> yeah, I had a giveaway on, on Lockdown Celtics. I was like sent out like probably parts of it to like 10 different fans. But now I was like looking through my stuff and I just don't have any confetti left. So there's like 10 fans out there that have that actual confetti. Um, but I wish I'm kicking myself because I don't have it anymore. Yeah, like there's there's so many obviously memorable moments in Celtics history, but the the Schadenfreude memorabilia, like the thing that reminds you of the pain of another fan base, like to me that's the most valuable item I could possess. Um, Spoonie, what do you think? You got any answers on this one? Uh, uh, this might be a weird one. KG's sweaty shirt that he was wearing when he screamed anything oh, yeah, is possible. That's a good one. I feel like would be cool. Yeah. Uh, and then realistic, I don't know, I don't, like, I don't, maybe like a signed Aaron Neesmith jersey or something like that. <laughs> You've got the unsigned one, you could... I'm halfway, yeah, halfway there. I yeah. think that's, that's, like, very obtainable. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> his, his AAU coach would always call into anything as potable, yeah, so I think right. we can look it up oh, if, yeah. you, if you need it. <laughs> I love that guy. Me and that dude, we're like tight, man. I'm, I was always like cheering when he was getting his takes off with you. Yeah, <laughs> he I do, sadly, sadly it's no more. I don't think he's going to be calling into the pod anymore. But I love Richard from South mm-hmm. Carolina. He was always a welcome guest. Yeah, well, he was we'll talk offline yeah. and see if we can hook up that uh, that autograph because that will absolutely <laughs> Spoonie will die a happy man if he gets his knee Smith jersey signed. Um, and look, if you're listening to the show, if you've got any answers on you know, Celtics memorabilia, fantasy or realistic or otherwise, uh, let us know your thoughts. There's, there's got to be some some good answers out there. There's something what like Kelly O'Neill Game Seven headband I think would be like oh, it has to be yeah. a unique item. Is like, but I think that's one of another great thing. Maybe the um, I don't know. I was just trying to think of something from that that magical Isaiah run. Uh, on that, in that the, defeating the Wizards was all, it was just a, such a sweet, sweet victory. Yeah, that was so, I love. That was one of the most fun series, man. Uh, 
And then LeBron really, <laughs> really made that bittersweet. <laughs> yeah. I, I do think like a clay mold of Yabu's like booty, there's something there. Maybe it would, you know, uh, develop value over time. It could be sold on eBay in the future. Or like Larry Bird's like early 80s mustache, if you could have that somehow laser removed from his face and then imprint, imprinted on, I don't know, some sort of uh, statue of Larry Bird. On my on face, face. Yeah, totally <laughs> implanted. <laughs> now we're talking. Um, all right, let's move on. So in NBA.com's latest 2022-23 power rankings, the Celtics are ranked number one. Sam, Ooh. yeah, how fucked are we because of yeah. that? And should we anticipate someone breaking an ankle five minutes into the season? I don't know if we need to anticipate that, but like, I do not like that level of expectations. Oh, that no. is that is not no. good. People like, they, like if Chris Middleton was uh, uh, not injured, they might not have gotten out of the second round. I don't like expectations at all. Every because everything, as long as they don't pose for a, a like a magazine article, all like the starting five saying who's stopping us. I think like we'll be safe <laughs> as long as there's not like clear hubris. But that's, like, not good. I like, just remember writing the, like, the season after Al Horford left. I wrote something for Boston.com just being like, hey, this team's not going to be the same team. Um, let's just, like, lower expectations and enjoy the basketball. And, and then we went on that, that kind of crazy run that was, like, ended with the bubble. And it was, like, a lot of fun. And so that is my one concern heading into the Celtics season is just, like, what happens when expectations are so high? Celtics fans are already insane after a one regular season loss, but like with heightened championship expectations, when they inevitably lose to the Orlando Magic in early December on a game they should absolutely <laughs> win, like people are going to go bananas. And I was just like, how do the Celtics react to that? I just can't wait for Ime Yudoka just to be uh, such an asshole. And I'm like, I actually kind of looking forward to that uh, because uh, Hard on Ime is one of my favorites. But like, I, it's, the best. it's like, if things don't go their way to start the season, like how, like, they can't afford to have a, like a start like they did have like last year. And I think there's like a lot more pressure on them to start the season out well. So they can rest players. So they can kind of coast um, more in the regular season. So, now, being number one uh, in the league, I would much rather be the team that's like everyone picks against and they have some internal motivation be like, nobody believes in us. The fan base hubris is starting to get a little out of control. We have a Reddit post here that's from user ThinRap. And he says, the team is set for a championship and most of y'all need to calm down. Assuming nothing crazy happens between now and October, this team is poised for a rematch with the Warriors. Uh, and then he goes on to say Von Ley is great and this is the best team since Von 2008 so, uh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah Von Ley starting power forward I'm hoping maybe this is like a ridiculous take but I wonder if Tatum and Brown's experience in 1819 when it was just a complete shit show expectations were super high they thought they'd just basically walk their way back to the Eastern Conference Finals and the addition of Hardo Ime Maybe that will be enough where this team doesn't take anything for granted, doesn't take their talent for granted, actually goes out and, and plays. Because you're right, Jam, like, you can't just bet on going, like, 30-7 and seven in the second half of the season every year. Like, that just does not happen. You have to get lucky. So, uh, do you think there's any, I mean, uh, do, uh, do you trust that? <laughs> like, I don't know, man. I'm I'm terrified. The one thing that I think that makes me feel better about 
this season and like that other year is that they went on that crazy run with without Kyrie and Hayward and like Terry Rozier thought he deserved minutes, Marcus Morris thought he deserved minutes, Jalen Brown thought he deserved minutes. No one thought Gordon Hayward deserved minutes, and like uh, Brad Miller gave it to him, and so there was this like this clear everyone was unhappy. I think with this current Celtics team, there's a clear hierarchy. There's something that works. I think the biggest question is like, how does Brogdon come in and fit as the sixth man, and is that like a role he's willing to accept? And like, I have no indication that uh, he's not like going to be that type of guy, but he is a guy who's been a starter for the past couple of seasons and like Derek White I'm sure is a guy who's expected to be a, a starter it's like is everyone going to be happy with their minutes enough to kind of buy in and sacrifice and do that kind of team stuff I have much more faith in this team to be able to do that just because um, it feels like they have the, the, the structure in place whereas that 2019 team was just you know one had Kyrie and two was just had like a bunch of other guys who thought they wanted minutes yeah for sure which like coming into next year, which Eastern Conference opponent gives you the most anxiety? It's the Bucks. Sure, they have Giannis. I mean, like Giannis is insane. I think he ran out of gas in the playoffs just because he had to do absolutely anything. And um, Chris Middleton also known demon um, who always destroys the Celtics, and so I was very glad not to see him. I just think like when you combine Giannis, who's just absolutely the best player. Uh, in the league right now and give him a little bit of help that Bucks team who the Celtics still like the Bucks team still took the Celtics to seven games is just gonna be much harder out and so that is a team I think is like the most the most concerning the biggest challenge to, to the Celtics yeah and do you think that the additions we've made like Brogdon and Gallinari is that enough to cover for the sort of re-addition of of Middleton back into that Bucks squad come playoff time I do like I, I, I am still a Celtics optimist at heart and I think like Brogdon and Gallinari is like the perfect addition. If you were able to keep the same exact core together and really not give up anything, I think that's that's amazing. I think it'll add them more depth, um, a little bit more shooting from Gallinari, which I think will be important. But I also think it's like it's not like guaranteed. Like it's not like your the marginal improvements on the roster is like oh we, we brought in a Giannis stopper. Like we do have Grant Williams, but like who knows if that's going to be enough. Uh, and so I, I still think it would be a, a very close series. Obviously, I, I would pick the Celtics. Obviously, I think the but it's not like oh now that we have Malcolm Brogdon, we're clearly the Eastern Conference favorites. I think there's like the Celtics and the Bucks are in a tier. The Sixers might be there if they could ever get out of the second round, or if James Harden like actually plays serious basketball. Uh, and then there's like other teams that I think would be good, um, but it's not like the Celtics are head and shoulders above everyone else in the East. Yeah, definitely not. I, I'm actually shocked for the the title favorites at this point too, because I I feel like we did. I mean, it's kind of bullshit, but the Bucks did take us to seven without Middleton, so I, I think you can make a good argument they're the favorite, maybe a step above us. Philly also scares the hell out of me because personally, one of my very good friends is a Sixers fan, and I've been like <laughs> dancing on his grave for like 15 years now, and I'm not sure I'm ready for that to turn. And two, like watching a playoff series with Embiid and Harden would be one of the most difficult 
obnoxious things I would ever have to experience. I just don't want to go through that. Yeah, the free throws alone would be nauseating. <laughs> and then just having any of your friends team beat yes. you, it's like it's worse than like the Gordon Haywood, Haywood injury. It's worse than anything. One of your friends being able to shit on you like indefinitely after a loss is uh, it's more painful than anything else. <laughs> Especially if they're a, a- they're a Philly sports yeah. fan. They're a special brand of obnoxious trash. <laughs> yeah, he's actually he's interestingly like you guys own us. He's like got the Embiid attitude. We're like you guys own us. I can't talk any shit. How quickly um, that will change if they do this in the playoffs? <laughs> They're up at halftime in game one. Yeah, I know. Yeah, we're not taking it. <laughs> yeah. That's basically how it happens in the first quarter if they're beating us. You're like, good game, huh? Like, fucking asshole. But anyway, all right, changing gears, changing gears here. So, GM, we've asked, like, most of our guests this question, so I'm going hit, to hit you with it here. So the Celtics have had, like, a variety of meme players, like dudes that don't play a ton, but the fandom wants to see them get more time. Usually it's, like, physical oddities or crazy, you know, athletes, like, Rob's probably the most successful. Yabu and Taco are probably our duds. Uh, we had Max Letterman on. He said the next one is Aaron Neesmith. <laughs> Forsberg, which obviously is not going to play out. Forsberg went with Johan Bagarin. So who, who would you pick from? I'll give you some candidates. J.D. Davison, Kevin Gelly, Bagarin, Yamadar, or somebody, Noah Vonley, who's obviously going to be an all-star. Um, like, who do you think is this sort of bench guy that in two years we're going to be like, see, the fans were right for once, Yudoka. You should have been playing this guy more. If it's if it's two years, I like the Yuhan pick just because he's uh, an obscene athlete and crazy. And French, I feel like the, the being from France... It helped with Yabu, it helped with any sex pants. Like, there's definitely just an element there that I think is naturally lends itself to meme ability. I think for this upcoming season, it's someone we've already talked about, the Green Hornet and the Cornette. Like, I think he's the meme guy. Because to be a meme guy, you you can't just be, like, a name. You have to do a little bit on the court. You just have to be, like... Like, Vinny Sixpence exactly. never really panned out as a full meme guy because he was terrible. But Yahoo, like, showed flashes yes. and moments. Um, I feel like Evan Turner, like, was absolutely, like, the meme guy just because he absolutely said ridiculous things, but then also had his moments on the courts. And I think that maybe the theme of the podcast is just me being overly hyped about Luke Cornette. <laughs> I do think, like, any time he knocks down a three, people are going to go hype. And so that's my pick for the upcoming season. We're gonna we're gonna send this to Luke Cornette. Okay, people. I love it. Um, Spoonie, like, who have you have you changed your prediction on this? Or <laughs> I actually can't remember who you went with initially. Uh, are you kidding me, Neesmith? <laughs> of course, of course, of course. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, you have to make another choice now. Yeah, I, I think I'm gonna go with with Bagarin. Um, although, since he probably won't come over this year, I'm gonna go with Cabagelli. I loved what I saw out of him at a summer league. I am irrationally high on him. Like convinced myself he's gonna be able to make threes, block shots, and catch lobs. So uh, I'm going Cabs. Yeah, I think that's a good, that's a solid choice. I think he's he's primed to to fill that role. Um, you know, I think it's an outside chance. Just tell me if I'm completely out of line here, but Danilo Gallinari, I think. Maybe there's a lot of uh, like these Italian gesturing on the bench and from the fan base. Um, his his minutes reduction will mean that he kind of like fits the bill for like this meme kind of player. Right. Obviously, he's going to be in the rotation, but uh, you know he's advancing in age and 
his decline in role and his just uh, staunch Italianness, I think, makes him a prime candidate for uh, for me player. I think that's a great pick. I think the European factor is definitely helping his regard. Have you seen his Twitter posts of him working out in the yeah. summer? Well, he recently posted one where it was just like, added a new trick to my bag, and it was just a behind-the-back dribble. <laughs> like, I don't know if that was just like unintentional comedy or intentional comedy, but I thought that was great. That was fantastic stuff. I was like, yes, Danilo. That's the kind of that's the kind of shit posting I want to yeah. see. That's like a great pit for a meme yeah, guy. Yeah, professor over here with a behind-the-back dribble. I love it. <laughs> um, yeah, looking through the roster, like Sam Hauser, I think, is another option where you know, if he, if he uh, sort of showcases himself a little bit, gets more of an opportunity... There's like the whole house money thing. He hits a three. Everyone tweets out house money. There's that. I don't know. <laughs> Clutching at straws here. We're at the end of the podcast. We're running out of content. <laughs> you need to have some guy. The guy has to have some sort of personality where it's like Abby Chin would want to have like a, a goofy Celtics post up interview with him. Yes. And I just haven't seen that from Hauser. Yeah. Danilo, though, I think it could be content gold. Yes. It's really all about content. And so you need to be on the court and you need to provide a good soundbite. Yeah, absolutely. We'll be reaching out to Gallinari's people as well. Uh, I think that brings us <laughs> to the end of the pod. Of the pod. <laughs> yeah, Spoons or, or Jam, have you guys got anything else you want to add before we wrap this one up? Nothing for me. There's nothing going, hey. There's nothing going on. No. Uh, hopefully that changes in the next week or so. Otherwise, we're in big trouble, Spoons. I might steal that question for anything as potable this week because, you know, like, like you said, we're in the depths of August and there is nothing to talk about unless I want, we, me and Jay want to go... 15 minutes on Bruno. Um, so. <laughs> <Jay> yeah, <Mike. laughs> by all means, these questions are for the people. Yeah, please. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> all right. That is going to do it for this one. Thank you so much for joining us. Go ahead and like, rate, subscribe, all that good stuff. Spoonie, love your work, mate. And Sam Packard, this was great, man. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, have you got anything you want to plug, like anything coming up aside from the next Anything is Potable pod? Sure. Actually, tomorrow I'm I'm a guest on a YouTube show for Underdog Fantasy, the True Withers show. Hell yeah! And tomorrow, live at noon, I will be eating a chop suey sandwich, and it is the grossest thing in the world. I don't know how I'm going to get through it. It looks like squid noodles on a weird potato bun. Uh, it's going to be absolutely awful. So if you want to watch me just basically torture myself, uh, I did it only for. A couple subscribers on uh, on the show's YouTube channel. That will be going on tomorrow, uh, uh, August third at noon. So uh, make sure to tune into that uh, if you want to see me be embarrassed and uh, probably for a while. Oh, see, there you go. There's plenty of content out there. What are we talking about? The off season content's <laughs> drying up. Packard's eating chop suey tomorrow. We've got plenty going on, which is great. If you find you enjoy the pain for whatever reason, we'll get you back on and we'll have you eat a Vegemite sandwich live on the podcast as well, which would be great. Um, All right, folks. Thank you for tuning in. We will be back next week. Until then, go Celtics. Peace. Peace.